Welcome to the High Action Podcast. My name is John Story, and I am joined by my cohorts in the New West Guitar Group, Will Brom and Perry Smith. How's it going? <laughs> On today's episode, we're going to dive into learning about the classic American songbook and its impact on jazz musicians for the last, say, 100 years or so. But before we dive into that, I'd like to mention that today's episode of High Action is brought to you by Henriksen Amplifiers. So be sure to visit henriksenamplifiers.com to check out the Bud, the Blue, and you'll even see some clips of Perry, Will, and I, both individually and with the New West Guitar Group, playing through their awesome amps. So check out henriksenamplifiers.com. Great to see you guys, and yeah, so season two is getting off to a great start. We so appreciate all the new listeners. I mean, Perry, it's pretty exciting, man, seeing some of the numbers this week. It looks like some people are tuning in, checking out even some of season one. So uh, we're getting pretty stoked here for this next season, aren't we? Yeah, it's great to kind of get back together in this format and also try out a new kind of concept for this season. You know, it was it was awesome interviewing all of our friends and mentors and all these wonderful people in the guitar community but uh we felt like we had something else to share with the listeners and that is sort of the nuts and bolts of kind of how we break down our artistry and um that's kind of been starting out with repertoire we did 12 bar blues last week and this week john it's all about what yeah classic american songbook right good stuff and you know it's interesting like will when you think of that term to me, it's such a broad name, and it, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard to define. How would you define what the classic American songbook is? I would define the great American songbook as tunes that are kind of based on show tunes, like Gershwin, Cole Porter, Jimmy Van Heusen. Those are the types of composers that come to mind when I think of songbook tunes. Yeah, well, you know, you're right on the money. I was doing some research this morning before we got online here together, and it seems like the classic American songbook is defined as music written from about the end of World War I, 1918, 1920, through the Depression, into the 30s when radio was really invented, the 40s where Broadway and movies were really, movies had sound, of course, by Mm -hmm. then, and movies were getting pretty high tech. And into the 50s and even into the 1960s. I mean, some of the tunes that we call on gigs by guys like Johnny Mandel were written as late as the 1960s. And I consider that to be um, American songbook stuff. So, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) Our Dodgers, unfortunately, lost last night to Atlanta. But, hey, you know, we'll see how they do this week. Um, But uh, sorry, Perry had to mention that, I know. But, you know, when I think about a song from Tin Pan Alley, which came before the classic American songbook, I think of... Take me out to the ball game, right? So you think of a tune like that. Take me out to the ball game. And that was written in 1908. Okay. Wow. Don't stop. And don't stop. Yeah. Oh, you want one more? <laughs> buy, one more. Buy me some people. <laughs> try to do it with one word off. That's the old uh, trick, right? Oh, okay. That's the, that's the car game that you play when you're bored. Um, but no, but 1908, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was written. And other songs like, um, you know, Baby Face. You've got the cutest little baby face. And they're very, these songs have kind of like one and five. They almost sound polka-ish, you know? And um, I was talking years and years and years ago. I had the fortunate opportunity to talk to my grandmother who played piano entirely by ear. And I asked her, like, what's the difference between the stuff that was written kind of in Tin Pan Alley and what 
people played in the 40s and 50s. And she said, well, Tin Pan Alley songs are more that everyone can kind of sing along. So like a, the national anthem or, the, you know, take me out to the ball game or something like that. But then when it gets to songbook tunes, sometimes it takes more virtuosity to be able to play them. And it takes more chords and more melody to understand how those tunes work. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, Perry, would you agree that when it comes to kind of the lineage of American song, which goes back to the 18th century with folk music, really, and patriotic yeah. music, through Tin Pan Alley to the songbook, it just gets more and more virtuosic how these composers are, are composing these songs. Yeah, certainly from a harmonic standpoint, you know, like the harmony of the great American songbook is... You know, it's amazing. Like, there's so much to dive into there. And I think on a couple of the tunes we're going to play, that's certainly the case. But when you talk about virtuosity of melody, I have always thought that the national anthem is a tough melody to sing. <laughs> Even Take Me Out to the Ball Game is a tough melody to sing, compared to, like, right. maybe a Gershwin tune like, like Blue Skies or The Man I Love is almost an easier song to sing. But harmonically, there's so much underneath there. So, you know, mm -hmm. John, what do you think... Um, what do you think has kind of happened between like harmonically speaking with these songs and how jazz musicians like us were able to adapt them and kind of add to them? Well, I think that ja the, the lineage of jazz musicians interpreting the songbook comes from musicians having to play for extended periods of time in dance halls. So like big band era and the swing era, they took a lot of these songs and played them over and over and over again. And of course, what was happening in New Orleans with jazz music evolving and Dixieland jazz, people taking chorus after chorus on a tune like Sweet Georgia Brown, which actually is more of a Tin Pan Alley song right. than it is a songbook song. Right, right, yeah. And you're right, these songs have pretty deep harmonic, you know, um, you know, underpinning that, you know, it's, they're, they're tricky. And then some songs are more singable, you know. I mean, it's, it's interesting, Will, do you feel like when you teach people today about music, just music in general, that harmonically things have just kind of gotten now simpler and that melodies mm. are narrower in, mm. in a lot of ways. It's almost like we look at the songbook as like this era of when melody and harmony was just so epic, like this epic painting. <laughs> well, I correlate it with like there's more production things happening now with sound rather right. than you have the bass note and the melody note and the inner voices Right. And and that was the but actually John getting to a point you were making earlier like about the changes in the harmony evolving in the dance halls like the simplest form of a 151 being 151 versus 12511 or 36251. Right. Even that just that shows it's it's still kind of a 151. Yeah, and, you know, it is interesting, like, people heard that harmony. I mean, a, a couple generations ago, people could sing much more complicated stuff just in pop culture. Like you mentioned, Perry, the, the Star-Spangled Banner is a tricky melody to sing. It extends an octave. Yeah. It's got a lot of intervallic leaps. For your average singer, it's going to be a hard thing to sing compared to Happy Birthday, which mm. is more just kind of stepwise and simpler to sing. Um, so I, I just... Very curious to talk to you guys about this, too, because it is an interesting subject. The classic American songbook, you know, what is it and why is it kind of considered to be this sort of um, nu cellular nucleus almost of, of jazz music where a lot of music evolved from 
songs that Gershwin and his brother Ira composed. Um, one question I had for you guys before we talk about today's uh, standard, too, is what was the first song from this era that you remember knowing about when maybe when you, we were kids and watching like Disney movies or something before we really played guitar? I certainly know what the song is for me, but what, what's one of the first ones that you guys remember hearing from this era when you were little? I'm curious. Perry? Probably Sweet Georgia Brown, you know, and if, if that counts. I know that's more Tin Pan Alley. Um, and gosh, I mean, When You Wish Upon a Star was one I learned, but that's probably not um, even Great that's American song Songbook. Too. Maybe it is. I, don't, I thought it was more it Disney. totally is. It is? Yeah, the, Sher the Sherman brothers who wrote a lot of stuff for Disney were from New York and worked with Gershwin. Oh, and okay. there's a definite lineage there with with what they wrote for Disney movies, especially the Disney movies from the 50s and 60s, Snow White, yeah. Cinderella. So those actually kind of are thought of as sort of the bookend of songbook oh, tunes. Okay. With, yeah, I was doing a little research on this, and it's interesting. A lot of that, the Disney songs, like We'll Play Someday My Prince Will Come, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's considered to be kind of a borderline of jazz standard versus a classic American songbook Tune. Also, Mr. Sandman. That was one that was was uh, kind of early on. What was that Enter Sandman? Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> Interesting. That, that's the that's the next level. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Will, what about you? Do you remember when you were little, hearing any well, song in a movie? I mean, you era? said at Disney Disney movies, and the first one that came to mind was um, from Snow White. Someday my prince will come. I mean, right. I would consider that a songbook tune rather than a standard. So it's kind of interesting that you were saying it could kind of straddle both lines because, again, it's got lyrics and it's got that uh, functional harmony rather than, you know, modal harmony. So Right, yeah. And for me, it was hearing Judy Garland sing Over the Rainbow in The Wizard yeah. of Oz, yeah. you know, because Harold Arlen wrote that. And, and that, to me, was when I heard her sing that and I was little... You could tell it was written a long time ago, and it wasn't written in the 1990s when I heard it as a kid. But at the same time, it was it it um it was such a beautiful piece. It almost sounded symphonic to me, like it was a classical music almost. Mm. And I remember as I got into jazz, I started learning that those were the songs that we would be learning as jazz musicians to sort of build our vocabulary and build our skills as jazz musicians. So, you know, today I wanted to for us to each go around and play a chorus on the tune Embraceable You. And nice. um, Embraceable You was written by George and Ira Gershwin. And it was actually, as I did a little research on this, it was published in 1928. So we're talking, this is a Depression-era tune, right? And um, they originally wrote it for an operetta that never got put on Broadway called East is West, but then they pulled it out of their file cabinet in 1930 for Girl Crazy, which was a, a Broadway musical that starred Ginger Rogers, and then Fred Astaire did all of this choreography to this song. So it's interesting, like a song like this being pulled out of a songwriter's repertoire and saying, you know what, this would be a good song for this story and i remember perry joe diorio in our lessons absolutely loved playing this tune he just yeah. this was a song he would play an hour over could you play the melody for everybody
That's the melody for the A sections. Right. And, um, and then, you know, I'm, it's just interesting when you hear this melody, how it has this repetition. It's got this beautiful sequence. I mean, it's just a very finely craft, mm. crafted song and something that's very singable, mm -hmm. too. Because when we think of a songbook, we think of music that has words to it. And Will, you pointed out at the top of the podcast today that the songbook is tunes that are probably from Broadway, musical theater, and even motion picture films, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, let's, let's even go around and play a chorus on this. Uh, Will, let's, let's hear you do a take on it. What key do you like doing it in? I love it in G. People's key. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Perry, let's hear you blow a chorus on it.
Yeah, and it's it's one of those songs that you start playing on it and you start creating lines and you just want to go back and start playing the melody again because of the melody mm-hmm. draws you in so much. Uh, you know, Perry, we used to talk about learning tunes like this and how mm-hmm. important it is to really dive into what the melody really is mm-hmm. and what the story is behind it. I mean, how important... I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, yeah. these days, how important are learning songbook tunes... Uh, to you as just a part of your regular practice? Are you still doing it as much as we did it in college? Or did you kind of dedicate a certain time in your development to really learning these kinds of tunes? Well, I love them, but I would say that I don't learn them at the same pace that I was, um, you know, many years ago when we were gigging with them a lot more. You know, uh, the reality is now it's a little tougher to just kind of learn a songbook tune unless I have a specific reason to do so, um, like a new one. But I would say if you don't have like a foundation of that uh, in your playing, you're kind of missing out harmonically. Like just based on hearing the three of us play the same tune, there's so many different ways you can play this song from a harmonic standpoint on the guitar. Like what's the second chord, you know? We know we start on G, right? Now that could be G diminished as John did, or it could be B flat diminished like I did, or I even heard Will maybe playing like like F7 down there or something like that the second so time? So I, I did a C sharp half diminished, mm-hmm. F sharp 7. F sharp 7, yeah. Yeah. So like there's a lot of different ways you can interpret the, the harmony on these tunes and it teaches you so much. And then having the melody really be an, an, uh, you know foundational part of that, like you're saying, John, when you're improvising over these tunes, I like to just always think of the melody in my head, you know, as opposed to kind of thinking of the changes. Like... Yeah, the changes are there, but I'm thinking more like... You know, I'm thinking of the melody in my head, which I think helps the lines you develop. And that's what's so cool about these songbook tunes, because they're so melodic, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and... They're, you know, they teach us so much about how to play a melody that people are going to really be able to hear and understand. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys like Ger- the Gershwin, you know, brothers, like they thought a lot about what they chose to write over these chords. It wasn't just like they weren't necessarily instrumentalists like we are. Of course, they played piano and they composed. They really thought about the construction of the melody and and what story they were they were trying to tell. And I'm curious, Will, when you think about a lot of modern players, are there any favorites that come to mind that you really enjoy hearing um, playing some of these standards? <clears throat> Guitar player-wise? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think every guitar player that's pretty popular right now has cut their teeth on a lot of standards. Lage Lund has a great standards album from years ago that I listened to. Um, he's got a great like version of Darn That Dream, where it's still the song, but the whole groove is different. He he has an intro, you know, he's changed some harmony, he's made it an up-tempo. So it shows how durable those songbook tunes are, that at the core, the melody's great, the harmony and the form is there, and you can ornament it with all kinds of stuff, whether you slow it down, speed it up, change the meter. Um, so guys like Lage Loon, guys like Kurt Rosenwinkel, um, really have put some great treatments on on these songbook tunes. Yeah, and I, I love what Mike Moreno did during the pandemic where he talked about all the music from films and really mm-hmm. diving into what the song was about and 
I, I really love that. I think that's cool because what we're trying to do as modern jazz players is, you know, in a way, also look back and really kind of be historians to a certain point. And I, for me, I have a lot of fun in going back and learning about all of this stuff. And some people do, and others just kind of learn these tunes just as a way to have them to gig with. But I think that there's a lot to learn. And what Mike Moreno did was like, hey, you know, check this out. This is really what Stella by Starlight it means. And this mm -hmm. is what's going on here. And here's the scene in the movie that it's from. And I think I think that was, that was really cool to, yeah. to yeah. check out. It's good to have the context for what you're playing, you know, especially from a lyrical standpoint. Like, we don't often think of the lyrics as guitar players over the songs mm -hmm. we're playing. But there's a reason they were composed the way that they were. And the lyrics are a big part of that. So to the extent that you can honor the lyric of the song when you're playing it instrumentally, you know, you might have a deeper version of that song on your hands, you know? Well, and you know, to kind of add to that, Perry, I, we've all had experiences where we've played like wedding gigs and people <clears throat> suggest songs and we know they're just not the right song for the wedding because we know what they're really about, you know? Give <laughs> us an example. No, Love for Sale, you know? <laughs> And they just put it on a list of jazz tunes. I'm like, you know, we shouldn't do that song at your wedding, you know, or um, <laughs> oh, thank, come he on. thank no. heaven for little girls. Like these are not good songs to play at, at your wedding. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe they are. Uh, Maybe that's, I don't know that one. How does that, how does thank heaven well, for little girls? You come? can use your imagination about what that song is about. And it's, uh, yeah, never mind. Uh, my buddy Alex Frank, my uh, that I gig with a lot, is knows a lot about these kinds. Of, he's way into Broadway stuff because his dad was a Broadway um, pianist. So he's okay. we love talking about you know stories like that. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. These are these tunes have a meaning. They have a story, and we you know jazz musicians today are really the the, the custodians of this era of music in a way. Funny enough, we're the ones that are interpreting it. And I know next week. We're going to dive a little bit into what jazz standards are and how there's, like we mentioned earlier, a tune like Someday My Prince Will Come, um, or even a tune like When I Fall in Love. You know, these these ballads that were interpreted by Miles and stuff, especially in the cool period in the late 50s and early 60s, they start kind of turning into something more than just songs from this, from this era. Um, so, yeah, I'm really stoked, Will, mm -hmm. for you to share with us your wisdom on, on jazz standards, and that'll, that'll be really fun. Everybody should be sure to tune in to that. So uh, before we close today's episode of High Action, again, we want to thank all of our new followers. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us. We're available on all podcast platforms. Um, if you want a really fun coffee mug or T-shirt, be sure to visit our Teespring store, which is now called Spring, I believe, funny enough. And you can find all this out through our Instagram. Uh, in fact, I challenge a lot of our guitar player listeners today, uh, when we post our tile for this week's episode, write in there your favorite songbook tune that you enjoy playing, and let's see what everybody comes up with, because it's always interesting to hear what tunes people right away want to dive into playing from this era. Can, so, can I make a uh, again, request? So, oh, oh one, one more time. Say that again, Perry. Can I make a request? Yes. Can we can we each play a chorus of a songbook tune and uh, not say what it is? And we'll see mm -hmm. if anybody comments on the Instagram to find like out what it. tune we played. I like it. Okay. Maybe we can get one of these video clips done and get it posted on our story yeah. and All see right. if people can submit in there. Okay, I like that. Yep. A songbook tune. All right, Perry, you go first. Okay, here we go. You guys will know it, but don't don't say anything. Don't shout mm -hmm. it out. Okay. Thank you. 
Nice. 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 All right. I'll do one, and here's a bonus extra credit question. It was written by the same composer as that one. Uh-oh. So see if somebody can find out who the composer Uh-oh. is and the name of this standard right here. Would you guys say that more jazz musicians play those songs than people playing the Great American Songbook, maybe than singers? Mm. I would think so, actually. Man. Maybe. Well, we'll have to. Like, we'll take a poll. I'll, I'll poll everybody next week and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you raise a great question, Will, that maybe we can talk about in the in next week's episode too. You know, the difference between like cabaret singing and mm-hmm. jazz singing. I know there's a lot of controversy. <laughs> Don't go on Facebook and post <laughs> that. But but um, but it, it's it is interesting because I there's a there's a lineage of people doing them the way they were done in the Broadway theater, and then there's a lineage of people like us interpreting them too. All right, I'm going to play my my tune now.
We'll see. Oh, that's a good one. We'll see if that's anybody good. can get these. Go ahead and comment on our Instagram, High Action Podcast, and be like, the first tune the was prize? X, the second tune was X. Uh, I bet we can get the second tune, maybe the third tune. I'd be surprised if anyone figured out mine, but we'll see. It's a deep cut, as we say in yeah. jazz, a deep cut, right? So, man, it's great to hear you guys play. Always fun to start our week off together here in the New West Guitar Group virtually over the interwebs. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we just appreciate everybody for joining us. And one more time, vi- be sure to link up with us on our socials and to subscribe to the podcast and hit us up. Thank you very much for supporting us on Patreon. So we will see you guys next week for Will Brom's Odyssey into Jazz Standards. <laughs> Thanks, you guys.